Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Average Joe's Podcast, the official podcast of the NCDA. Current players sit back. The alumni have you covered tonight. Your host, Alex Bowmans. Players' mothers yell at me. Leslie Ellison. Oh, God, what? Jason Holman. Maybe a masochist on this subject. Mike McCarthy. What were we talking about? Ryan Men. Dodgeball should come first. Josh Raymer. Everyone's body is just wrecked. And Kat Takeda. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second episode of the NCDA Alumni Podcast. We have a jam-packed episode for you all uh, here a couple weeks out from Nationals 2013 at the University of Kentucky. Let's introduce our all-star panel of hosts this time around. My name is Josh Raymer. I am the former captain of Western Kentucky University. Alex Bohm is captain and uh, former founder of MSU's dodgeball team. Leslie Ellison, number 21 inches, uh, the first girl for Kent State Dodgeball. Jason Hallman, number 20, or number 65 for Kent State Dodgeball. <laughs> Mike McCarthy, number 55 from Central Michigan. Uh, Ryan Men, former captain for Kent State Dodgeball. Katz Kata, number four, former player of DePaul University. All right, so now that uh, we know who all is here, um, Let's get going with something that got cut off the first time around um, due to some <clears throat> technical difficulties, we'll say. Josh. Uh, yeah, user error, I guess, would be a better way to put it. Um, guys, let's just do um, your favorite moment from a uh, dodgeball game, just to kind of give people some insight into our background and our experiences with dodgeball. Your favorite moment from a game you were either playing in or watching, and we'll just go in the same order as the introduction, so I'll start. Um, the craziest moment I ever saw, uh, besides the guy from UK who tried to backflip and landed on his head and nearly killed himself, <laughs> uh, that's a close second. Um, the craziest thing I ever saw uh, was during a game between uh, University of Louisville and UK, um, their uh, University of Louisville's best catcher, Jacob Stratton, had a triple catch, uh, three catches in the span of about three seconds that started with Wes Hopkins, the uh, fastest arm in the NCDA. So uh, the whole place went crazy. He danced around like a maniac for about 15 seconds, and uh, yeah, that's my favorite memory. So let's, uh, bonus, I'm sure you've got about 10,000 memories you could pull from. Yeah, and I've probably forgotten about 30,000 by now because, I mean, that's what age does to you. Uh, let's see here. My, You know, I barely played when I was an undergrad. I was doing more of the organizational-type junk. Uh, i got to go with uh, senior year, uh, towards the end of fall term, uh, I had somehow convinced MSU's athletic director to let us be the halftime entertainment for the basketball team and the women's basketball team and the doubleheader. So there we were, Breslin Center. 15,000 people watching us, and there we are against Oakland University. I'm playing the, the ref who wasn't making a single call to save his life, and things just lined up great, and that stuff actually happened instead of the slowdown ball nonsense. And just hearing the crowd when the state player caught the final uh, Oakland player out was just incredible. There's some footage out there somewhere. It is great. All right, Leslie. Okay, my favorite memory would have to be from the BGSU tournament back in 2009 
we had a player on our team called Chris Becker. This guy is a beast. I swear to God, he's got to be one of the most intimidating players formerly in the NCDA, at least on Kent State. And it was a very, very heated tournament. Our captain, Carl, was already basically a raging pit bull on the court and got ejected from the game. And we, as a whole team, were just getting so frustrated, so angry, that Becker just takes his dodgeball and from across the court in the back corner just wails it at this kid. This poor kid did not see what was coming at him. It hit him square in the face and knocked this kid at least two feet off the ground and he just went down <laughs> like a ton of bricks and at that point all of Kent State just looks at Becker looks at this kid that just got totally freaking wrecked and we just threw our hands up in the air and said that's it we're going home we did what we wanted to do today <laughs> which was kill someone or give them exactly. break <laughs> all right Jason uh best one I have is probably from our team again a uh, kid named Kyle Cathcart we were playing I don't remember the team but they threw at him, and he caught the ball between his ankles. And about two seconds later, they threw another ball at him, and he caught this one between his knees. Wow. And the other team was yelling at him that it's a trap, and the ref looked at him and went, you're crazy. It's two catches. i got to say, my favorite is involving me, and I'll go figure. He's so humble. Go figure. <laughs> And it was the first time that Central Michigan, or anybody for that matter, had beaten GVSU in an entire year, and that was at the Michigan Dodgeball Cup, and we beat, like I said, Grand Valley for the first time in an entire year. Uh, so that was by far my uh, favorite and coolest memory. <laughs> and there's Cat's dog. <laughs> What is this, the Blair Witch Project? <laughs> she warned us. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she told the us that the dog, dog would, I'm sorry. Yeah, would make an appearance. Uh, all right, Ryan, I think you've got a special story that got cut out last time that you were kind of upset about. Yes, I was because I didn't get a chance to tell everyone how much Kent State just loves balls <laughs> and just all the different type of balls that we have. Uh, but my moment was at Saginaw uh, this past year at Nationals. Uh, right before a match between uh, University of Kentucky in the semifinal game, we got a ball stuck up in the rafters, and it was called the flower ball, which was our favorite ball. And we delayed this the semifinal game at least 20 minutes to try and get this ball unstuck. And meanwhile, the Kentucky players were pretty much napping on the side because they were just waiting for us to go, and Kyle Fitzpatrick, he went up to Zach Brown and the refs, and it was like, my team's not playing until they get that ball down. Uh, it was just a, it was a really great moment because when we did get the ball down, our team was just rejoiceful and jumping for joy and <laughs> probably lost focus about the game because we got slaughtered in the game. But you got the flower ball. We did. We got the ball. That's all that mattered. That's true. The ball will last a lot longer than the memories. It is retired. Good, as it should be. All right, Cat. Well, DePaul has left me with, you know, nothing less than plenty of memories on and off the court. But uh, I think my favorite is probably, to be honest, don't even remember what game it was. But um, one of my first couple years playing, someone threw at Jimmy Campton um, team throw, and he managed to catch both balls at the exact same time without them touching, which I think has probably been still the 
one of the coolest catches I've yet to see. Yeah, I feel like cool catches are almost better than cool kills sometimes because always, always, just this the difficulty level with how fast players throw nowadays is crazy. All right, um, our next little segment here that's kind of a trip down memory lane um, is injuries. And Leslie, since you kind of brought this up, why don't you get us started on this? Okay, the worst injury that I have ever witnessed is actually one of my own, and it probably has to be the biggest freak accident that has occurred during a Kent State practice. Um, This past fall, I think, Ryan, what was it, like a week or two? Were you even there when it happened? No, I wasn't present. Jace, I think it was like two weeks before Halloween, um, literally about 15, 20 minutes into our Friday practice, um, one of our players threw a ball at me. I blocked it down with the ball, and I turned to uh, drop the ball that I was holding to turn and catch another ball that was coming at me. And on my right hand, between my ring finger and my pinky, a ball, the ball that I went to go catch jammed and ripped the skin completely open between the two fingers. Oh, and oh, yeah, oh, God. <laughs> it was pretty sick. Um, and it just ripped. Apparently, one of our alumni, Devin, he saw my skin fly, and I thought that I had jammed my finger, so I went to go and, like, pull my pinky out of socket. And I'm like, wait a second, why is my hand all wet? And I look down, and I just see blood pouring everywhere. It's all over the floor, all down my arm. And I just scream, stop the match, and fall to the ground. And we had to drive, Jason had to drive me about an hour away to um, Parma Hospital, and nobody believed me when we got to, we first went to an urgent care center, and I'm wearing the dodgeball all-star shirt from last year's nationals, and nobody wanted to believe me when I said I was playing dodgeball, it's how I split my hand open, and everybody looks at Jason, thinks that they're, that he was beating me or something, and then we finally go to the emergency room, and it took, what was it, three nerve blocks and six stitches later, and my hand is stitched back together, and it's really funny because um, the webbing is now, like, permanently not as stretchy as before so there's a very distinct difference in um stretching both hands out that my pinky on my right hand does not um open up as much and it's surprisingly led to a different throw that has a spin on it that i'm not used to and neither is anybody else so everybody's like what the hell is this shit yeah i probably just would have thrown up and died uh that (laughs) happened to me so you're much tougher than me it sounds like um that's nasty. Yeah. Scar at nationals is pretty great. Yeah. I'll take I'll take a I'll take a gander at it. All right, Ryan. Uh, I'm gonna talk about myself. It might not have been the worst injury I saw, but it was definitely the most traumatic for me. Uh, last fall at the Michigan dodgeball invite, um, we were playing. It was the first match. We were playing the Paul, and there was just a ball bouncing up on the court, and I jumped up. Just a straight jump. I came down and my left knee twisted. Um, I could tell I pulled or tore something. Uh, it was just an awful experience, though, to be in the first 15 minutes of a full day of dodgeball and you're done for the day. Um, I ended up tearing my meniscus, having surgery a few weeks later, and missed half of my final season. So, good work. That was the, yeah. That was the most fun. That's a bummer. All right, Kat? Yep. Um, so this past Jan, not this most recent January, the one before that, uh, during the Chicago Dodgeball Open, 
our opening games were against Nebraska, uh, a bunch of tall farm boys. And uh, mm. during uh, opening rush, decided to go for the one of the middle balls of like the second game we were playing. And uh, I'm not still exactly sure what happened. It was a knee, a head, or an elbow. Um, but we collided. Shortly after colliding, I was headshotted. Um, fell to the ground, spit out part of my broken molar, Ugh. and uh, proceeded to uh, have a bloody nose. So uh, I got rushed to the hospital down the street from DePaul and spent three hours in the ER getting x-rays and then uh, ended up coming back to the tournament to finish watching. Oh, God. But, um, wow. Yeah, the, one of another... Uh, Luke Mikaitis came with me to the hospital, and if it wasn't for me wearing all my dodgeball gear, same thing as Leslie. I he was legitimately scared they were going to start asking him questions because he was thought <laughs> we're gonna they thought that he, he beat me. Don't you love how the women have the most traumatic dodgeball injuries, and everybody instantly thanks abuse. Yeah, and oh, I w- the week the week following that was was real fun when um you had like random strangers asking you if you were okay because it looked like your boyfriend beat you with a two by four. <laughs> well, I will say this: the NCDA is where the women are way more badass than the men. With Cat uh, coming back to finish watching the game and. Leslie, the fact that you didn't pass out and die, um, I think pretty much seals it. You know, it was funny. Um, from the hours of 4.15 in the afternoon till about, what was it, 9.30 at night, just open, gaping wound, and it took the hospital like five hours to get me stitched up. It was great. No pain medication or anything. Did they give you anything, Kat? Uh, yeah, I got a Norco and a ibuprofen. More than what I got. <laughs> Yeah, they gave me, they gave me, I was on zero sleep. I pulled an all-nighter the day before the tournament, so I think I looked a lot worse than I actually was. You were the you walking know, this dead. is coming right off that article where they just banned uh, dodgeball in New Hampshire for being unsafe. Are, are, is this the greatest promotion activity we're doing right now, or what? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they're, they're focused on all the bullying aspects of dodgeball, which I haven't heard any issues of it. Obviously, I mean, we're in college, so I think we can handle ourselves a little bit better than children can, but... Yeah, yeah, we're better at dealing with broken uh, limbs and bloody fingers and everything like that. They're also I don't think of us are vindictive, though, when we play each other. Oh, like hell, we're not vindictive. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Jason, did you have an injury you wanted to share? Yeah, mine was actually from high school. Um, no, no, this did, is dodgeball injuries. This is dodgeball. We did have dodgeball in gym. One kid got pegged in the face by our high school baseball pitcher. He got hit so hard, his hard contact, which was lasered onto his eye, bent backwards into his eye. And he died. (laughs) (laughs) He drops over onto the court, like, or onto the basketball court, rolling around. They had to have an EMT come in with a pin and a pair of tweezers poke the contact while it's in his eye, and then pull the contact back out. Oh, my God. This is the stuff of nightmares. This really is. (laughs) I want to ban dodgeball. recruitment video. Yeah. And this happened in about the space of 15, 20 minutes. And the kid gets back up, blinks three times, and goes, can we keep playing? (laughs) And then he died. Yeah, and then he died again. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, Bomas, follow that one up. Well, I didn't know we were getting into a competition on this, but... (laughs) <laughs> no, um, let's see, your law school thing. Yeah, second, 
No, third year of law school. Jeez, it all goes by so fast. Um, uh, was in practice. Uh, MSU player throws one at me. I stick out my hand to try and catch it one-handed. Ball hits my hand. Hand stops. Ball decides to keep going. Um, finger gets bent back. Uh, I could tell something had happened badly the second... Uh, the second I realized that I did not, in fact, catch the ball. Later, uh, about a week later, I finally went in to get an x-ray. Yep, uh, inner knuckle turned into confetti. Uh, oh, ended up, my God! Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I was hoping it was just, you know, dislocation, something like that. No, no, that knuckle was completely shot. So, into surgery we go. The only day that they could get me in before, you know, say, August or September was the morning of one of my law school exams. I mean, they had to put me under for about 90 minutes. Oh, jeez. Uh, I swear, the last words I said before I passed out were, wow, this is like a party from junior year. So <laughs> gone. Wake up feeling refreshed as all get out. Uh, they ask me if I want some Vicodin. I, I say, nope, nope, can't do it. 90 minutes uh, later, there I am, handed a giant cast in my negotiation exam. Why? Uh, Why is it when you say junior year, I think like 1997? <laughs> <laughs> It was 1987. Yeah, I guess that would be why. Yeah, uh, yeah those hands injuries, I think, are kind of um, par for the course with dodgeball. With uh, It seems like everyone has had a pretty significant hand injury at one point or another with the way that the balls are flying around. But, Mike, let's talk about your uh, injury or the injury that you inflicted upon someone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you hear from all these other people, all these injuries they had. I remember a guy from Michigan State tore his retina from being hit in the face with a dodgeball. Um, I mean, countless rolling ankles, uh, messed up fingers, ripped off fingernails. But I have to say the coolest one I ever saw was at the Grand Valley Nationals when it was Central Michigan against Grand Valley's B team. And I actually went to high school with Brian, who was on JV, was on Grand Valley's JV team. And one of the biggest guys on our team uh, ran up to this line and point blank just lights him up as hard as he could, hit him square in the face. He gets lifted off his feet, smacks his head against the uh, smacked his head against the floor. And then we stopped the game for about a half hour. EMTs came. He got taken off in a stretcher, you know, neck brace and all. Uh, oh, we, so those were where the pictures came from. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, so he he was knocked unconscious. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure he went back to the hospital, got CAT scans, got all that stuff done. So that was that was one of the coolest ones I had ever seen. So I, I, I got a couple of pieces of insight for that one. You know, I, I had the privilege let's call it to actually have to ref that game so when it happens right in front of me i'm thinking ah jeez what the hell do we do this kid's out well yeah you know this guy you know, he jumped from right behind one of his laker uh teammates and he just never saw it coming so i mean it's not like you know mccarthy walked up to someone and went boom uh, it, it, he jumped up and just the ball was coming right at the guy in front of him who gets out of the way and just plasters this uh what was his name mike his name's Brian. Brian, uh, oh, what's his last Savala? name? Savala? Savala, yeah. Yeah, Oh, Savala yeah. Kid. And, I mean, he, again, it was just a complete blindside. But the, the other part of this was, you know, 
you know, there's a picture of this EMT laughing his head off while this is all going on. I know why he was laughing his head off. Because as they were doing this, uh, this Savala kid regained consciousness. And, you know, as long as we're talking about it, the, the, he did not lose consciousness from getting hit. He lost it when his, the back of his head clocked the, uh, clocked the hardwood court. That's yep. what put him out. But anyway, he gets back up and they're saying that, you know, we gotta get you checked out, kid. You're done for the day. Uh, he's saying, oh my god, all I wanna do is play dodgeball. <laughs> and at that, that was when the EMT lost it. I, <laughs> and I, I couldn't blame him one bit. Cause even I'm, I'm standing here trying to shield him from the crowd and I'm going, really kid? This, yes? This is all you want to do? <laughs> I mean, I I love this stuff, but you you got some priorities, man. He's a trooper. His dedication yeah. right there. All right, well, um, so those were kind of some injuries that we've seen that uh, made us want to throw up. Um, and let's move on to a subject that got uh, cut off from the last podcast that might also make some people throw up, or at least... <laughs> Uh, originally, it might have, and that is the topic of the new opening rush format. Um, it's been in uh, play for a while now, uh, the uh, 343 setup, and um, we had a really healthy discussion. I think, Mike, you got us started last time, so let's have you uh, kick this one off again. Your thoughts on the new opening rush? Well, God, I hate it. Oh. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. I know, right? So um, constructive. <laughs> I just hate it. <laughs> uh, well, coming from the guy who always did the line ten balls up on a line and go headlong into a wall of men, or sorry, men and women, um, Central Michigan always preferred this over the new three four three because of the speed we had. We are probably I, me personally, I think we were the fastest team in the entire league. So having that edge over everybody else going up there and taking all the balls from, you know, Grand Valley, Saginaw, Michigan State, Ohio State, University of Kentucky, all those other elite teams that we would go and take those balls from, that was giving us our competitive advantage, right? So I just I, I don't like the new rule because we, the only reason we took away the other one was because of injuries, but I don't feel that there was that much of – a problem with what we had. So uh, my personal opinion is go back to the old way, but apparently a lot of people like this new way. So we'll see where it goes from here. The, now, since I started in playing in fall 2008, and I remember how the old opening rush used to be, I know that with some of the more aggressive teams – you would get players that would throw elbows and kind of kick and potentially try and throw knees and hit knees and and try and clock you in the temple. And I know that we've had a couple um, players, like I know that at one point uh, one of our alumni, Kyle Cathcart, had come back from the opening rush the way that it used to be, and he just looks at us, he's like, man, I think somebody, like, elbowed me or punched me in the head. I, I don't know which one. It was just too close to really figure it out. And I think that the opening rush, considering how injury-prone this sport is, it makes it a little bit less likely to really take somebody out at the start. This way you can kind of, I guess, calculate your, your kill shot instead of trying to, like, you know, deck them at the front rush. And it provides an opportunity for 
both teams to kind of get an equal uh, amount of balls to really even everything out, especially since I know, like, early in, in Kent State years, like, when we would be playing against UK, we would always joke around that UK had their entire track team as their dodgeball team because it would be UK 8, Kent State 2, and, and we'd have to fight our way back from there. Now, I didn't have a problem with the old rush at all. I mean, I thought it was fair. I mean, it was just depending on your team's speed. Um, sure, being on Kent State, we did, as Leslie mentioned, we did lose the ball advantage most of the time. Um, but the new rush is just so much more fun and exciting than the old rush. Um, I mean, there's footage of me personally that I just know because I watch it from time to time. But where I get the middle ball... Uh, for one of the three balls, and right in the middle, I spike it down on a kid that's going at the halfway line, and I just think it brings more excitement to the game, and the fans are into it just from the start, because when you have the old rush, everyone would go, and then you would back up, but the new rush, it's just more exciting, and I don't see a problem with it. I mean, I think it's fun. The league seems fine with it, so. Yeah, who asked you anyways? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't even played with the new rush, though, have you? I have a couple times, but recreational. See, tournament-wise, you don't know. Mm. Yeah, Mike, shut it's your not... mouth hole. <laughs> it's not for you, man. Okay, I guess I'm leaving. <laughs> All right, Kat. Well, I mean, from personal experience, um, I do not like the opening rush. Uh, I Although, yeah, Ryan does have a point when with the old stuff, we'd have to bring the balls back and, you know, there'd kind of be a standstill um, that teams would use to strategize. Just if anything happens at the front line, like as in me getting hit in the face, I got hit in the face with a ball shortly after that. Um, But it's just, it's it's chaotic and there needs to be, if we're going to keep the, the, Four three four setup, or vice versa. Um, I think there needs to be at least no balls live at the beginning, just because it's just you're you're asking for a lot of injuries, depending on how aware everyone is of their surroundings. Well, see, this is great because you know, for those of you listening, uh, Mike McCarthy just got kicked off of the call, and which means I get to say whatever I want, and he can't fight back. Um, you know, <laughs> Cat just brought Cat's uh, example is a perfect uh, case study of why I was very much in favor of changing it from having all ten balls right at the midcourt line. You'd hear some of the older and typically the faster teams going, "But we like it this way, and we've never heard of anyone getting hurt." And blah blah bull. All right, you know, I've seen people get clocked. Cat's experienced it firsthand. This, this is far easier or far more likely to happen when you've got this wall of humanity with up to 30 people crashing headlong into each other. It's just not a bright move. And granted, this is not a bright sport. But even for the stuff that we've got, you you can handle it in such a way where you can control and limit the amount of injury that happens to you. Uh, plus, you know, as I think Ryan pointed out, basically faster team wins on this. Well, whoop de do. Sometimes we like to th- see things shaken up a little bit. Sometimes we like it where the captain of, or, you know, the better team or the faster team or whatever can go out in the opening seconds. And that can happen with this situation. For someone to really dominate under the new opening rush where you've got this 3-4-3 setup, you gotta have everyone on their A game. They need to be better coordinated. They need to be more accurate, which is sorely lacking among a bunch of players. And 
it just opens things up quite a bit. All right. Uh, yeah, Jason, go ahead. I see why the 10 on 10 doesn't work, because someone my size hitting Leslie would kind of incur her sliding halfway back the other side of the court. There are a lot of issues with someone like you hitting Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, that's not the point, though. Uh, I do like the 343 for the fact you don't have that smash. The downside that I have to that, though, and I've personally done this before, granted it was practice and I almost felt bad for the kid. No, you didn't. I got the ball and in one stride from the first ball, blasted the kid so hard in the chest, he almost flipped over. Having those live being so close kind of poses the problem because the fact you now have a full head of steam and a cannon coming at you at point-blank range. Jason, I got a very, very important question for you. Sure. This kid that you, you know, knocked and blasted back two feet or knocked, flipped him over or whatever, do you have video of that? I wish I did. <laughs> I feel like I some of the I best did. moments in NCDA history do not have video, unfortunately. I can't yeah, we fix that. Yeah, we do. Uh, for those that play for Kent, it was TJ that I hit. That's any relevance. Not really. He's a youngin', so he's not made a name for himself just yet. That's Give right. Me and at this rate, he never will. Yep. <laughs> so harsh. Um, let me just say this about the opening rush. I do agree that I have kind of warmed up to it after initially just kind of not being a fan. My only concern, and I haven't really seen this be a big issue yet, but I could see in a heated game how it could be, is that by introducing throws right off, you know, as soon as someone gets a ball they can throw – I think you're asking a lot to determine if balls hit players and if people should go out. I feel like it could lead to um, a lot of confusion and a lot of um, kind of you know people flying off the handle in a close game, say in the semifinals of nationals, if the ref calls them out off the opening rush and they didn't think they were out. So um, that's my only issue, is that I think it created a little more chaos that is hard for our limited number of refs to um, keep an eye on. We've seen some of that in certain games, but it's mainly not the entire team. It's just one person who, on certain teams, you already know is a problem. Like, the guy just doesn't go out ever. He runs his mouth. Yada, yada, yada. But overall, the league's been pretty good with it. All right, well, does anybody else have uh, anything to add to the opening rush debate? Well, thanks. All right, let's move it on to the next one. And, Bomas, I will let you introduce uh, the topic of roster reduction. All right, uh, you know, you've got these 15-team roster, 15 player rosters, five subs, and, you know, you see these, you know, one to two games or these one nothing games or these three two games where, you know, you'll see people go back and forth for about 10, 15 minutes. And while that 10, 15 minutes is taking place, you've got you know, basically 20 people on the sidelines where nothing is going on. And we've all been part of those games where no one's throwing until they absolutely have to. Another 15 seconds, single ball gets thrown. Another 15 seconds, single ball gets thrown. It, I don't care whether you're playing or watching. That is boring. So, you know, maybe it's the time, maybe now is the time to start knocking down the rosters and the shot clock to actually have stuff happen. You know, for example, and this is a, maybe a bit extreme, but 10 players, 10-second shot clock, you know, as many subs or whatever as you want. Uh, but let's get this game moving. Let's quit this walking back and forth nonsense. Frankly, I'm just tired of it, but I'm a cranky old man. 
Um, I think that reducing the roster size would be a good idea, but I also think that what we should do is incorporate getting B and potentially C teams um, into the league in which you have, for instance, Michigan State or Grand Valley that just have a huge influx of players that are young, they're really enthusiastic about it, they really want to get out there and really get involved with tournament style since it could be leagues different from what you might do at home during practice. Well, but, right, but I mean the, the idea it would also help in that aspect in that right now you need you need 15 people to have a semi decent team right now, and that's that's tough for the newer teams. It's been tough for in the past five, six, seven, eight years. But if it only really takes 10 people, 10 decent showing up all the time people to make a run or to you know have a, a good cohesive unit, it's going to be a whole lot easier for places like Indiana, Purdue, uh, you know LSU, and all these other places. To, to get teams started, and when you get that going, you get large organizations, it becomes easier to field these B teams and have these extra uh, events. That, and it also, it gets rid of, you know, having to be, at least from what I've witnessed, you know, having the captains have to be the bearer of bad news to a particular player. But the other problem with that is it could bring entitlement issues with certain players. For instance, if you have a player that's, really, really good, but is really, really young, and they end up getting put on the A team, and then you have a player that's been around for a couple of years, and they get put on the B team, but they're not as good as that younger one, it could cause an entirely different issue, which I've also kind of heard about that happening, so it's kind of a, what are you, like, I don't know how to describe it, like, you're, you're, taking away one con or no taking or giving a pro to this issue by dropping down that roster size, getting more teams in, getting more teams to be able to play with, but also, you know, potentially causing a rift among the team itself. Well, yeah, but that's a school by school issue. I mean, isn't it? I mean, someone can say, some team can say, are we do everything on a strict seniority basis? If you're here, great. Or you got some people who say, we're going to send the best people period. And you know, you guys do what you're going to do. Kat, what do you think? Um, well, I definitely, if there was a reduction in roster, I definitely agree that I would say make at least a, a B or a, a JV squad, um, as we've seen GVSU do. And I do know that there's, uh, they had a couple seniors on their JV team that did never moved up to their original, um, the, the team that competes more often, but, um, yeah, like teams like DePaul and Kent State, and we have such a large, large population of players. And I know that it's been an issue for more than the past couple of years as far as captains having to sit down with people and tell them, hey, you know, you didn't make it this year. And I believe this year I wasn't involved in, obviously, the decision. But um, basically, if you were told you were going, you're going, and they didn't tell anybody else. So we've had people asking on our on our page hey what's going on with nationals what's the weekend what's the deal and then you know the one of the captains has to go you know if you weren't asked out by now then you're not going so i think that yeah 10 10 v 10 is definitely going to increase the competition and if we do decide to go with an a and a b squad for all the schools depending on their um how many people they have coming out to play I think that it's going to encourage players to improve more. It's going to encourage them to try different things. Um, Because if you get put on that B team, you want to play on the A team. So you're going to work on your throwing. You're going to work on your catching compared to 
right now where someone's like, oh, we only have 20 people, you're, you kind of, you know, you get comfortable and you don't really focus on, you know, trying to move up um, as much as I think you would if you're fighting for a spot. We're trying to learn. Because I know that yeah. there's like an issue with some players in which, you know, they'll be like, well, I don't have to do anything or I don't have to listen to you because I already know everything. And that's in some cases not the point. Ryan? Well, <laughs> uh, I think the only reason why the league should do a roster reduction is if more schools are going to join the league, which truly that probably will benefit more schools joining. Um, but I mean, I think I heard like JMU this year, they had like a three day tryout because they just had so many kids want to play on their team that making them even cut it more seemed I don't know, I guess unfair, but I mean, the NCDA we're so unique with 15 on 15, 10 balls on the court, that that's what sets us apart from other leagues. I know it's still 10v10 is still more than the normal 6v6, but I think the 15 on 15 is our staple of our league, and it's just what sets us apart. Well, 10 may be cutting it a bit short. Make it 12 or, you know, whatever, but I mean... Uh, the, the nice thing uh, from a, a tournament aspect, and I think we talked about, I don't know if this got on the, the part that you know got left out along with the Watergate tapes, um, but you could have the idea of just in multi-day, multi-event, multi-game uh, settings, you know, you can change up whoever you're starting, you know, 10, 12, 15, or whomever. So if you got this larger group and you the team wants to split up its time, it can. And you know, if you got this people who either want to just do uh, the, the same 12 people for the entire weekend or whatever, that's fine too. But let's leave it up to the schools to figure out how they want to deal with their own situations. I'm on the same page as Ryan. Uh, I mean, 15 on 15 is what the NCDA is all about. I mean, nobody else is like us. Nobody else uses 10 balls on the court at the same time. Um, and I feel like if we drop it down from 10 or from 15 to 10, or 12 or whatever it is, we have to reduce the size of the court as well. And, I mean, just when I go to explain this to somebody, I play college dodgeball, 15 on 15, 10 rubber dodgeballs, full basketball court. I mean, those are the, those are the first three things I mentioned. Uh, and I feel like changing that would not only what we talked about would, would take away from some of the teams that have all those extra players that, sorry, we're cutting it down from 15 to 10 now. So even five players that have been around for, for four years. Okay. Now you guys can't go because we have this freshman that's even better as well. So, I mean, there's, I feel personally like there's more cons than pros to it than anything. Um, so I'm in favor of keeping it 15 on 15, but I mean, if, if we do that to advance the league to go down to 10 or 12 or whatever it is, uh, then that's the best thing for the league. I have to agree with uh, Mike on this. The 15 on 15 is a unique situation. The other problem is if you start cutting it down to 10 people, not only will the court size have to be reduced, but I feel like 10 people with 10 balls, you probably just wouldn't get as much action as you would with the 15. Because once you reduce the game size down with the amount of players, it's easier for people to just sit there with the balls and have like two people throw. Well, so, see, that's sorry. Um, keep going. Yeah, do you have more or? Go ahead, Bomas. Right, well, you know, you t- you touched on the main point that 
uh, really gets me and that you're not seeing enough action. Think about all these times where you're sitting back there, 15-second shot clock, and no one's doing jack squat. You know, I've, I've seen it. I've played through it. Uh, if the main thing here is let's just keep things going. And it seems like, you know, just telling people throw more isn't working. Let's just cut the shot clock down to 10 and be done with it. Actually, I have people have to move around at that point. You might uh, actually see some stuff happen. What pisses me off is when you get teams that are like, no, no, it's their turn to throw. It's their turn. It shouldn't be about turns. This isn't a turn table RPG thing. This isn't Final Fantasy. Freaking, just throw the damn balls. An RPG has been worked back into another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to agree with Bomas and Leslie on that one. If you're, if if it's just time and it's, you know, quickening up the pace of the game, I mean, I've, there's outside tournaments where you go off of an individual shot clock and sometimes you only have five seconds to throw the second you touch the ball. I obviously know that, you know, tracking 15 people on each side of the court individually shot clocking them is going to be extremely difficult, but, you know, reducing the shot clock would, I think, be the most beneficial to speed things up. Teams are going to have a better chance of getting more games in. They're going to have a better chance of, you know, scoring that extra point if they need it. It might reduce profanity. Uh, Yes. I very well (laughs) might. Uh, That would be my suggestion. If we wanted to see more action would be to, as Boma said, chop down the shot clock to just 10 seconds um, all the time. Uh, because I feel like just from the games I've seen, when um, the teams get whittled down to fewer and fewer numbers, there's less action just because there's fewer people to throw, um, and you have a lot of balls kind of laying on the court. Uh, the most action that I usually see in a game is when it is 15 on 15, and you have more people to hit and more people to throw. Um, so that's why I'm actually in favor of doing uh, 25 on 25 on a football field. Uh, <laughs> now... That would be funny, but I think 25 is just insane on that field. But I do agree with reducing the shot clock, but an individual shot clock would detriment certain players. Like, I'm actually talking from experience here. I don't think that word means anything it means. I've had games where I've had a ball the entire game, and I've thrown maybe one time, but because I've sat on the front line the entire time and forced people to throw at me, with a personal shot clock, you just can't do that. You wouldn't have a front line. Everyone would have to be either a catcher or a thrower. So reducing the shot clock is one thing, but individual shot clocks would probably warp the game a little more than they'd be intended to do. Yeah, I think a personal shot clock would be impossible, at least where the league is now when we kind of struggle sometimes to keep up with the 10-second shot clock for the whole team. Um, Down the road, when... You know, we have a hundred schools in the league and professional refs and NCAA or whatever. Maybe we can. (laughs) Someone disagrees. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Personal shot clocks are great. Sorry, cat dog. Are you Uh, saying that alumni aren't aren't professional referees? Come on. Sorry. Sorry. Um, Hey, as long as no one sleeps with anyone this year, I think we'll be good. Oh (laughs) yes. Whole another issue. We could do a whole podcast of things that have happened behind the scenes at Nationals, I feel like. Win, win, win. Dark, stick around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, does anyone else want to jump in on this issue? What, on the after dark stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Easy, Bombas. <laughs> Creepy old man. All right. Well, got two parts of that right. 
let's uh, let's move on to um, the rule changes uh, that are going to be talked about uh, at this year's nationals. And Mike, why don't you kind of introduce this topic for us? Oh well, some of the things that they've been talking about lately are have a lot to do with catching mostly. One of the things was the trap rule, which has been brought up only a hundred different times at nationals. Um, and then a couple of the other teams were, or a couple of other ideas that were brought up were uh, out of bounds team catching. And then oh, there was one more. Uh, it was a single target, multiple team catch. So uh, the trap rules obviously have been the same thing for the entire time. Uh, is it a catch or is it not a catch? Personally, if you have a ball in your hand and you catch a ball thrown at you and you can somehow corral it, I think it should be a catch. I mean, I agree not, with you so wholeheartedly from personal I, issues in the past. It's just, I mean, but then I understand where the other people are coming, where they're saying if it hits the other ball first, it's considered dead, and then you're corralling it, and it hits you, and you're out, or whatever the idea is. But I, I personally, I feel like it should be a catch. The other thing was they were talking about Having it hit somebody, it hits, uh, let's say it hits me, and Bowman's is on my team, it hits me, I jump out of bounds while still in the air, I catch the ball, throw it back to Bowman's, and then I land out of bounds. They're saying, is it a catch or is it not a catch? I believe that should be a catch as well because you were initially in bounds and then you landed out of bounds after you let go of the ball and your team has caught the ball. So you should be out and your teammate, uh, you should get a teammate back in as well. And you have entered the matrix. <laughs> is, that's so true. Is that not currently considered a team catch if you're jumping out of bounds? It's, it's currently considered a team catch, but they were wondering what should that – like should that be considered a team catch or should it not be considered a team catch? I believe it was uh, considered a team catch, but the other player that landed out of bounds was still considered out of bounds. Yeah. Um, Bumas, let's have you weigh in here on the trap rule. Well, you know, I'm, I'm the old man official here. I mean, it, it's been easier in the sense that, you know, you you guys always have your underclassmen ref. and I, I, Stop that, please. Uh, get people to know the rules. Because, I mean, th- this is sort of a rule that was made for the benefit of those younger officials because they don't have to actually think or look or do their job. Just, oh, they have a ball in their hand, therefore trap. Well, that's fine. That makes it easier. But at the same time, it's caused a ton of grief, like you guys have already pointed out. So I guess here's the flip side. If things go back to the way they were, where the uh, a ref or the official actually gets to make the call on whether or not it grazed uh, any blocker ball that you may have, don't start complaining to us when we start ruling it in a way you don't like, because you're giving us the discretion, and then you're going to complain that the discretionary move was wrong. I just pick a, one side or the other and stick with it, and I'll go with it all the live long day. But until that time, you know, this just takes one more thing out of the realm of argument. So, you know, just pick a side. Yeah, I think at this point with – go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, as far as, like, blocking and trapping goes, I think all of us have played long enough to know and hear when the ball hits another ball. I mean, we've played so long, we've kind of trained our ear and our eyes to see, you know, that slight – um, change in direction of the ball or hear around rubber. I mean, it's pretty obvious. So someone, someone tries to say it hit their ball and it's in it. I mean, it's like, or it's like, Oh, I didn't get hit. Be like, no dude, I, I heard your shorts. Like, 
it's 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 pretty obvious most times and you know if people are going to throw a fit then you know honestly there's there shouldn't be any argument cuz i mean i had to i had to yell it to paul when i refed an outside tournament I was like, no, I was like, my rules, my ruling, I'm like, just because I used to play with you guys, I'm not going to, you know, make an exception. Um, the one thing I will say as far as the trap rule is that just at the point that we're at not having enough refs to really um, police every aspect of the game is I think we just have to side with simplicity on this one until we can get to a place where we have more refs per game. And so I have to side with, even though I do believe that, it should be a ref's discretion. Did the was the ball actually used to catch the other ball? I think we just have to make it right now for simplicity's sake, like Boma said, to where if you have a ball in your possession and you catch another one, it's a trap. Even though I don't believe in the spirit of that rule, just from a logical standpoint right now, I feel like that's where we have to go with the refing situation the way it is. Well, let, let me be clear. I'm not actually in favor of this. I liked it the old way. The problem is you got all these wishy-washy freshman sophomores who your teams are throwing at to ref games. People are yelling at them, and they'll just cave to whoever's yelling at them to get them to stop. And, you know, you got to start bringing in officials who know what the hell they're doing. And once you do that, this it doesn't become a problem. This, this I agree on. Uh, the officials really dictate the game. It shouldn't be the players dictating it. But the other thing I do want to say about the trap rule, if it is – blatant like if the guy has the ball in his left hand he puts his left hand out and catches the ball only with his right hand i don't feel that's a trap in any sort of way if the ball is close you can call it a trap but if a guy like deliberately holds the ball out and catches it one-armed that's pretty sure he didn't use the other ball so i mean if you're going by just complete blatancy that should probably be ruled as a catch now, if it looks close to the ball, that's where the officials should just make the decision. Okay, Ryan? Uh, I'll go off Mike when he was talking about the out-of-bounds and the team catch thing. Uh, I think any college football fan here remembers, uh, I believe it was the Honey Badger for LSU when he jumped out of bounds, threw the ball back to his teammate, and it was an interception. Um, I think that applies for the same rule. That player that's jumping out of bounds, he's not out of bounds until he touches the ground. So it should still be a catch, a team catch. And Yeah, and under uh, the current rules, it is. It would be good, and it should stay. So I'm not really sure why it even is bringing up in question. I don't really see what a problem with it is. Um, sure, I didn't have time to read the forum and look at the rule, um, but I'm not sure why it's being proposed even as a question. Well, we're just stalling for time so Raymer can do some more show prep. How we doing, buddy? <laughs> Not good, guys. The show's going downhill quick. Um, going off of what Ryan said, I mean, if there's going to be an argument of whether or not, you know, if you catch a ball in the air and land out of bounds, you have the same argument as far as suicide is concerned. I mean, technically, you are in the other team's territory, but you're still in the air and your throw qualifies if you hit. So if they would try and argue that your catch in air and then landing out of bounds doesn't count, then technically as soon as you cross that line of attack, your throw won't count either. That's right. a good point. Yeah. Um, is there any other rules that we wanted to talk about or anybody have any other points for um, these, uh, this issue? Who wants to talk about rules? Yeah, rules are no fun. 
Let's get on to it. I have a career. <laughs> Let's not make this about you and your law career, Bumas. Uh, no career yet. <laughs> all right, uh, Leslie, this next topic is all yours. I mean, it should be mine and Kat's, but... Um, yeah, you and Kat, both. Oh, yeah. This is exciting. Um, no, the, the one issue that I have is... has got to be how I personally feel... And again, it very much depends on the the woman in question. But if you have a woman on a dodgeball team that actually knows what the hell she's doing, and I get really, really frustrated watching teams that do not utilize their women correctly. Like, they'll keep them there only as, like, another body if they can't get a... a any more people to come in or they're only like ball gophers and and I get really frustrated watching that but on the other hand I get really really frustrated watching girls that like don't do much and then complain about the fact that they don't get as much playing time so it's kind of a double-edged sword um I know from personal experience getting up there on the front line, staring down a group of guys, going, you better tag me with one of those balls in your hand, otherwise I'm taking this ball, and you're going to get blasted from the cross court by one of our snipers. Not actually saying that, but, you know, giving them the death glare look. And I just find it really, really frustrating to either see misrepresentation from women, like for women from women, or misrepresentation from a team as a whole by not actually utilizing a girl that or a woman that knows what she's doing on the court. Cat, any thoughts, or am I just rambling like a lunatic? Oh no, I I completely agree. Um, well, I mean, obviously, DePaul is you know one of the first dodgeball teams in NCDA, and as far as I'm concerned, they've always had a girl. If they haven't, it was you know well before I even knew that DePaul had a dodgeball team. But Molly Fannin is like one of my personal idols. Um. And I just think that as far as teams are concerned throughout the NCDA, you know, it, they, it's greatly improved. I mean, JMU has girls, um, MSU has been playing a couple girls, and I'm not sure if that's because they've been short on their roster for the past few tournaments, because um, I know they didn't have a full team when they came for the CDO this year. Um, and then obviously uh, Louisiana has always brought out a huge group of girls. Um, but when I see things, you know, Kent State and DePaul and JMU, they're all playing their girls. And then you see a team like Saginaw Valley that brings 10 girls to their own nationals tournament, and the only game they play is that girls' all-star game. It's disappointing to see, especially since, you know, they do have girls that are really great players, and they're not utilizing their skills. So, um, I, but I do agree because you have those girls who are going to be on the court and they're going to turn their backs and they're going to be scared of guys throwing at them. And it's just, you well, need no, to, I feel like as girls, we need to prove ourselves a little bit more because, you know, we have to show them that we're willing to take that risk and we're willing to get up on the front line and we're willing to get hit in the face. And I mean, that, that was my, my theory for when I played for DePaul is if you get hit in the face and you don't return, then maybe you weren't cracked up to play dodgeball in the first place. So. I know with me, since, you know, I was the first girl for Kent State Dodgeball when I first came in 2008, and first day I got blasted in the face by, uh, Brett Hodros, one of our alumni, and, because I played softball for so many years, like, I kept coming back because I love the fact that it was a really rough and tumble sport. And, you know, 
there was a very big, long, running gag from Kent State that women don't play dodgeball and that I wasn't actually a girl and haha, that's my jersey number. But I actually found myself wearing that number with pride because I broke so much ground for Kent State as a girl and getting on the front court and, you know, jumping up, being part of our front line with Jason and Billy and then sometimes with Jeremy Shaw that I would get really pissed off seeing other girls come on the court and just cower in the back or get hit and then bitch about it or get hit in the face and then cry about it. I've gotten hit at point blank range and had both my contacts get knocked out, put them back in and then just started playing. playing. Yeah. Yeah, and then you get, like, half the girls that, like, look at you, and they're like, oh, my God, you're so bleeding crazy. And then you get, you know, some of the guys going, dude, you got more balls than I do. And I'm like, yes, now you better either block this or catch this, or I'm getting you out with this ball. And I just – and and it's really funny because playing dodgeball as a girl outside of the NCBA when I played for my company at the Cleveland Corporate Challenge – it was really funny to see all these big beefcake guys. First of all, with my short hair and our, we, Jason and I, we wore our jerseys. You couldn't really tell that I was a girl until you heard me talk. So you'd get the guys, they would autom- they take me seriously because I kind of looked like a guy. And then the moment that they realized that I was a girl, it became a completely different ball game, which I don't think is quite fair. And, they all of a sudden treat you different or they don't want to throw at you because you're a girl or if they end up getting out by you, oh, it's 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 because I'm not a good enough player or I screwed up and it was just dumb luck. No, maybe it's because that girl actually knows what the hell she's doing. She's just a better player than you and you're too much of a jerk to admit it. You know what I mean? And that's just the biggest frustration that I found as a female in the NCDA. All right. Yep. Soapbox. Oh, <laughs> it was cool. The best part about dodgeball especially when girls were playing against girls was the best part for me was watching my own players sit there and get caught by girls and i'm sitting there like dude she's out here playing with the boys you blast her like she's one of the dudes right don't take it easy on her. the second you take it easy on her she's going to catch your ball i guarantee it because she's out there for a reason and just having players players would sit there and be like, oh, I can't throw at her. She's a girl. Well, good. You're an idiot. Go sit on the sideline because you're going to get out anyways. <laughs> and then, we, I, I mean, that was just, honestly, we would I would always tell them, tell the guys on my team, hey, she might be a girl, but she's out there for a reason. So you go all out at her because she's expecting that from you. Go ahead, Leslie. I it, it was, at least from Kent State's standpoint, since we would have Jason on the left corner of the court we'd have billy on the right corner of the court because was i and you'd have me dancing around in the middle and if it wasn't me dancing around the middle it was shaw but it would be at least for us since we made the front line it was you pick your poison are you gonna throw at the blocker that as soon as they block your ball is gonna cannon it at you or are you gonna try and throw at the blocker that's just gonna turn and catch it at you because you're so distracted by the fact that they're a girl i uh i have to agree with mike here that um and I'll bleep this later, but I was f-ing terrified of girls um, that played on NCAA teams because you don't – there has to be, you know – I always thought, well, there's a really good reason that this girl is out here. She's a badass. She has a hell of an arm. She's got great, you know, great hands. And so the guys, you know, I, I knew kind of what to expect, but it was always the girls that were kind of the wild card and uh, were the ones that kind of terrified me when I played. Boomers can attest to me on the court. Yeah, we've covered that. 
<laughs> Women in dodgeball. I'm for them. Next uh, question. Just like to interject one thing, though. Uh, when we were playing in that corporate challenge, it was really funny watching the enemy teams, or opposing teams, enemy, uh, start throwing at me first because I'm just bigger and apparently draw a huge threat. And then just watching them get lightly tapped across the butt or the back of the foot, and they just kind of turn around and start looking and then see her on the other side and just kind of beat themselves up for not paying attention. Cross then, shots. Cross shots everywhere. And then they start paying attention to her and forget about me, and then they beat themselves up because they paid too much attention to her. It's kind of like that two-way street of don't look at the sex of it, look at them as a player. you got to pay attention to both sides. Well, my biggest issue with, you know, that would be, you know, there's teams like MSU where I quickly learned if you got them out, they had to do push-ups. So that done, then... That was our know. team? We started yeah, that, like... It, the last I, MSU oh. invite I went to, it was if you, if a girl got you out, you had to do push-ups on the sideline. Oh, I thought it was if you got oh, a girl. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, that's true with that. No. They do that. So uh, I took pride in trying to get their boys out because I just thought it was funny to see people doing push-ups on the sideline. Man, Ehrman didn't like it. He blasted pretty hard at the MSU invite, the last one I went to, but... You know, it's it's, yeah, it's well the kids got weak arms to work out. <laughs> it's an insult to girls that, you know, oh, you got out by a girl, that's ridiculous. But at the same time, you know, I know plenty of girls who can clock faster balls than guys. And I know plenty of girls who catch better than guys. So it's just a matter of, you know, like Jason said, they are potentially the better player and you shouldn't be upset with yourself over getting out. You just look at them as another player in their court, not as a girl. Although it's really funny to see the look on a big beefcake's face when you catch them out and they throw it at you as hard as they can. I know um, my junior year, it was uh, down at University of Kentucky. We were up against Eastern Michigan University. And Kent State was losing, and it was all sorts of bad nonsense. And their big beefcake captain, in like the last like 15 seconds of the match... Um, after they had been stallballing, it was like, all right, guys, come on, let's let's go and throw. <laughs> and um, he goes, whips it as hard as he could, and I look at this ball, and it's just coming right at me, and I'm like, I swear to God, if I drop this ball, I might hang myself, and I folded on it, did not care that it broke a whole bunch of blood vessels in my stomach, left the texture imprint of the ball, and I held it <laughs> up, and I said, catch, catch, does anybody want to come in for this beautiful catch in Kent State? <laughs> Being the way that we are, got really, really rowdy after that. So I guess, long story short, is women can be just as aggressive as men, if not more aggressive. So don't take it easy on them. If you're a woman and you walk out onto the court, you should know what you're getting into, and don't pussy out about it. I think that's a perfect way to end that segment. (laughs) No, no, I'm leaving that. Absolutely, that's staying in. Um, Well, let's... uh, Let's transition here from issues and discussion uh, into uh, kind of the the tail end of this podcast with our Nationals 2013 preview. I think that some teams, uh, a lot of teams are still signing up, so we don't have a finalized schedule yet. Um, we're actually going to, for this segment, use um, the Dodgeball Bracketology article that uh, Sam Hiller wrote for the NCDA site. Um, so... 
let's just kind of get going with some of the pools that he created. And uh, it won't be this way at Nationals, we know that. But for discussion purposes, I think this will help us kind of um, look at some of the teams that uh, will hopefully be attending the tournament. So let's start out with what he has is Pool A, uh, which is um, Kent State, uh, Towson, WKU, and Penn State. So uh, let's just start off with that first team. Uh, former Kent Staters, uh, jump in with how you feel like your team will do this year at Nationals. Uh, I can go. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, please. All right. Um, I mean, obviously, Kent State has played Townsend a couple times, and I've been hearing that Townsend has been coming up a lot stronger. Um, I still think Kent State will take them. Uh, clearly, WKU will pose the greatest challenge to them with uh, the great Felix Brown leading the way and the magic that he brings to the court. Um, but they get the wild card with Penn State University, and typically new teams, they've they've been a letdown since they're so new and the NCDA is so unique. But who knows? These guys can be monsters and destroy Kent, which, hey, I wouldn't mind if they actually did. They can win nationals for all I care, and I rejoice. Um, but I think Kent State should take the pool. Um, as a Kent State alumni, and I love Kent State a lot, I love you guys, please don't get upset with me, but I have a feeling that because we've lost so many fantastic players last spring and this past December, I think that we're going to be hurting, and I also have a feeling that with the way that they've been playing, it's not so much skill that's coming into it i think that they're going into nationals with a lot more padding than usual than, than other teams and that's the only thing that as an alumni i have that worries me because i have a feeling that a lot of the younger guys and a lot of the freshmen are going to have a much higher opinion about themselves and about the team than they should because i feel as if kent state right now Dan, Cam, if you're listening, I love you guys to death. Please don't hate me. I have a feeling that they're going for more quantity than quality. They could be, you know, like like as the um, bracket says, 21 and 7, but that's 21 out of all the teams and not maybe as many of the teams that should that, that would be the heavy hitter, hitters that we would want to be beating. Like we want, I would like it if I could see more of those wins being against Saginaw Valley, against GV, uh, GV against Michigan State, against University of Kentucky. But because we're not getting as many of those wins, to me, the 21 and 7 isn't as special as it could be, which is what has me worried. And don't get me wrong, I would love to see my, my alma mater get. The, the cup, but at the same time, I, I don't think that this is our year. I think if we give it another year or maybe another two years, because we have a pretty promising freshman class, we could definitely get there. But right now, I think they're going a little bit more for quality over or quantity over quality, because again, they're kind of starting a little bit from scratch since we lost so many of our alumni. Well, yeah, Leslie, I mean, you talked about beating the right teams. Well, um, I've did show prep like the complete nerd that I am. I've got the spreadsheet with the season results in front of me. Uh, November, Kent State 4, Western Kentucky 0. February, Kent State 4, Western Kentucky 0. With that uh, pool as it is, I see them cleaning their way through. 
Josh, what do you have to say? Oh well, um, yeah, I think it. Uh, I think it's Kent's bracket to lose here, but um, I would not be at all surprised if Western took it. Um, the team has been in uh, a definite transition uh, this year with uh, Felix moving from the captaincy role into the alternate captain role. Um, even though he's still, you know, a very prominent player there for uh, Western, they've been in a kind of a state of transition, which happens anytime you go from one captain to the next. But I will say, I think they put it all together with that win over Saginaw, which was our first win over a Michigan team in school history. Uh, I think there's a lot of confidence and a lot of the um, the new players that we have have finally figured things out. Um, and we have the benefit, and this is something you can't overlook, of uh, having a national tournament two hours away from Bowling Green. So um, travel concerns, and we, you know, travel costs won't be a big as big of an issue. So we'll have our strongest roster there, our strongest possible roster, unless the tournament was at Western. So um, yeah, I think it still can't just because of the results we've seen this season. But um, I think. And this is not me being a homer, but I think that Western is the real dark horse in the national title discussion. All right, who's up? Jason. Um, okay. Uh, what I was going to say back to the Kent thing and the tournaments, a lot of the new freshmen that are coming up, from what they've seen with just the players that are around them, they've learned but when they actually saw the alumni come back for the alumni game and some other of the older people come back for practices, like actual, like not Friday goof off days, but more physical 10 on tens, actual rush and go, they've learned a lot of things they thought were concrete, aren't concrete that you can have a different play style than what everyone else in the league is doing and have it work. So I feel they probably will take the bracket, and if they don't, I'm going to be yelling at every one of them. But next year, I feel that the force to be wrecking with will probably be Kent, at least. Just they need a little more timing and a little more experience. But I feel they're going to do well in this tournament. It's just some of the wins that they got, they need to work on getting more of those against the upper echelon teams, like the teams that did win nationals last year, and they're looking to win it again this year. And those guys know that. Dan and Cam know that. I mean, this year was the first year that we've beaten some of the Michigan teams in forever, besides Eastern. No offense to Eastern Michigan. Um, But they know that they need to get better quality wins, and Quantity, um, I mean, sh- we just love to play dodgeball at Kent. I mean, I, you can see that it's contagious around the league. Um, well, I know that. I didn't mean it as any kind of a bad thing. I'm just saying going into nationals, I just worry and I hope, like, don't get me wrong, I really want to see Kent take the cup. But at the same time, I just get worried that we're going, that they're going in with a lot of padding. And I, again, I don't mean that as a bad thing. Again, I, I played for Kent. We love playing. It's fantastic. It's fun. I, again, I just worry that in order to do better in the future, it should be less about padding and more about who exactly you're winning against. But surprisingly, they could still lose the top seed depending on how Saturday value goes. Um, it was just like last year when we went in. If we didn't win two games on Saturday, 
we would not have been the top seed for that for Sunday. And sure, I thought of, I planned out that bracket for nationals back in like February and it happened to be a dream come true, pinning all the Michigan teams on the same side. Um, I, I remember the look on everybody's faces when we looked and we were like, wait a second, we just let Michigan self cannibalize itself. What yeah, that the was hell? Great. Um, yeah, I will say this about kind of uh, wrapping up this pool here um, is that with Towson, you can't really underestimate uh, the value of playing a great team like JMU. Um, I know that's been a big benefit for Western getting to play UK, who I think is definitely one of the front runners for the title this year. So um, I think one of the teams that's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, I don't think they'll be there late on Sunday, but uh, that could surprise some people and win some games on Saturday would be Towson. And I mean, who knows with uh, Penn State at this point if they're going to be, you know, uh, Great players are just a bunch of Sandusky's. Which campus is the Penn State team coming from? I don't think anyone has any idea. Yeah, probably okay. no clue. Well, my boys at CMU, uh, yeah, they're gonna suck. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's let's get into this next pool here, Mike. I know you're itching to talk CMU. Um, this hypothetical pool B is um, UK. Bowling Green State, Central Michigan, and Northwestern State. So, Mike, why don't you get us started? Yeah, I just, I mean, looking at these guys, I mean, my old school, not all modern, but school, uh, they're just, they're falling apart slowly, and it goes back to the recruiting thing again. Um, God knows that they're even going to take 14, or t- take 15 to, uh, to national, so we'll see how that goes, but Honestly, I mean, there's there's these brand new teams, and they're not Michigan teams that I really see having a good chance at doing well in this tournament. UK, WKU, and and James Madison are my my three that I, I see doing very well in this tournament coming up. So we'll see how it goes, but my boys are are slowing down. Well, yeah, but they've time. been they've been pretty candid about their problem with that. I mean, Bryce shows up the first year, he beats the snot out of the new kids, and they don't want to show up anymore. Yeah. uh, (laughs) As much as we harp on Bryce, it's more us harping on him than him actually doing that stuff. I mean, we we all do it to an extent, but we make it clear that, hey, guys, we're just messing with you, right? It's not like we go out there and do this, oh, I'm whipping 100-mile-an-hour balls at your face, and scaring them off but right I and i told you uh, i told you guys captain the solution for this one tell bryce practices on monday and have <laughs> practice on tuesday and you're gonna be fine yeah that's true uh with pool b i mean i think because uk is uh probably 1a is the favorite and G- gvsu 1b is the favorite to win nationals in my opinion um CMU, if they can take 15, though, I think they could always contend with UK with the 10 guys that they have. But as Mike has sadly pointed out, he doesn't think that they are going to be able to take 14 players. So if they can, it would be just so different uh, seeing if CMU loses two games on Saturday. I mean, when was the last time at Nationals that happened? That's, that's a good question. Uh, it's been at least, what? Four years? No, three years. All right. Cat, you want to jump in here? 
Oh, yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, I haven't been able to see many teams play this season. But um, just based off of, you know, from what I saw last year, uh, DePaul was actually in a pool with BGSU and Ensula. So, um, even though Mike's a little concerned for CMU, I, I don't doubt that they'll be able to at least pull off wins against BG and um, Ensula. I don't know about UK because I haven't seen them play this year. But from what I've heard, you know, the prospect is looking pretty good, but, um, uh, I think it's, it's a pretty, uh, you know, so, uh, so pool, like, uh, there's not, I don't, I, you, you, I think that even without a full roster, there will at least be a couple wins in there. There will be blood. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if, let's say if this were to be the actual pool, I think UK takes this one pretty easily. Um, you know, uh, Northwestern State is always a fun team to play at nationals. Um, and, uh, you know, Bowling Green is always, uh, competitive, but, uh, yeah, I just, I see UK taking this one, uh, pretty easily, especially, you know, let's not forget, um, they have a huge, huge pool of players. They actually, I think, had two full teams this year. And uh, with it being in their, you know, at their school, they're going to have their strongest roster there. A lot of fan support. So, yeah, I think I think this one is this pool would be theirs to take. So the entire track team is the UK dodgeball team. So nobody will get balls except for them. That's right. They'll even get the three on the other side of half court. You know, if they don't do that at least one game, I might be disappointed in UK. Please make it happen because it would be, if anything, entertaining. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's move on here to Pool C. Um, this pool would have uh, JMU, GVSU, Miami, and DePaul. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like this is a much more loaded bracket than the first two we've seen. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think being led by JMU and Grand Valley, um, even with DePaul coming in, um, this is definitely the hardest pool, potential pool there is that has been made, in my opinion. Uh, and Miami has been shown to be competitive this year. So it's going to be tough to see, but I still think Grand Valley is going to take this pool. I personally think that the most exciting one to watch is probably going to be JMU versus GVSU because it's going to be pretty fast-paced and intense at least from what I can remember of JME's playstyle, which I think is about as fast as Kent used to be. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Cricket? Cricket? No, you're about <laughs> right. Um, as far as this pool is concerned, hypothetically, I, you know, sorry to Paul, I see JMU actually taking this pool. Um, I had, uh, was able to actually watch quite a few of their games at the Chicago Open, and you know they have a, they have a great captain. He leads the team well. I think they have a good strategy. Um, GV, in my personal perspective, isn't as strong as I've seen them in the past few years. Um, DePaul's picked up some really great catchers. Um, I know that a couple of our stronger throwers have suffered some injuries lately, so I don't know how they're going to play um, as soon as Nationals comes around. Um, I don't know how many people they're bringing, but, um, you know, we, we brought a strong team last year. We managed to, um, we almost beat BGSU. We beat um, Northwestern State. So I, I can see them, you know, putting up a fight. Um, but, you know, JMU, they, they, they're looking strong and I haven't seen Miami play yet. So 
Yeah, I think with uh, with this poll that, uh, gosh, I think JMU, just because um, GVSU is kind of had a down year, even though they're so smart and they're so um, they play so well in isolation. I mean, they, I think they just make them differently at Grand Valley. They're just like you know created in a laboratory somewhere uh, with the sole purpose of playing dodgeball. But um, my only concern with uh, JMU is uh, that they get a little too emotional. I know that UK had a lot of problems with them at one of their tournaments. And um, so in the heat of the moment, are they going to be able to keep a, you know, keep cool, calm and collected and, you know, win a game when it gets down to a close situation? Um, and, you know, a lot of this with with, uh, you know, the discussion of nationals is not just who is who would win between team A and team B, but also uh, you have to talk about who's a fun team to play against, who's a team that maybe you don't want back. And I know JMU's developed a little bit of a reputation at this point, and I hope that that does not rear its ugly head um, come nationals because this is when we want to have the most fun and we don't want any issues like that coming up. So that's kind of my two cents on this you know, hypothetical pool. Well, we all know that how DePaul plays, and we're always a fun team. So uh, I love DePaul so I much. However, whoever gets to ref the JMU GVSU game, I um, if it's not me, I'm still going to be there to watch it because I think that's going to be interesting. That's my game. I'm I'm taking dibs on that for sure. Yeah, that I, will, that will be heated. I, we should just have is, like six refs on that game. All the refs. <laughs> I, I've refed GVS or uh, uh, JMU before, and from what I've heard, I haven't seen any problems when I ref them. But I was blown away when uh, when I heard that they were getting a bad reputation because they were just a great group of guys when I was with them. So to hear that is surprising. But out of this pool, I really think 